this is uh, Jeff Nyquist. This is the JRNyquist.com uh, podcast for Wednesday, uh, January 28th. And with me again for part two is Jay Adams. He is, uh, he's got um, uh, spiritoftruth.org is his website. He's a contributor, of course, to the Final Phase Forum, which is connected to my site, JRNyquist.com, and discussing these issues about uh, what's really going on with Russia and um Jay, we ended the last podcast yesterday with uh, your comment about how the government, the Kremlin, is reviving the Russian Orthodox Church and building churches and renovating churches and returning churches. Um, now, um, there is a, there is a movement in Russia sort of connected to this, which is um, uh, uh, it's called um, geopolitics. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. Um, the head of the Communist Party, in fact, wrote a geopolitical text, and you've got um, uh, you've got major figures uh, who have written uh, uh, books saying that uh, basically the idea is whoever controls the Eurasian landmass or dominates it is going to dominate the world, because it's the largest. You know, if the world is a giant ocean with these landmasses, these islands on it, the biggest island in the world is the Eurasian island, the Eurasian landmass. And whoever dominates that is going to be the dominant power. And so that you have from that position the ability to dominate Asia and Europe and the Middle East. And um, they believe that it's Russia's destiny as the great Eurasian power and the, and the largest country in the world to, to uh, fulfill this role in the world of being the dominant uh, country, and that they have mixed, uh, similar to what you've said earlier, that uh, the Bolshevik experience was a teaching of Russia, the techniques of control and infiltration and going out, and that the Christian Orthodox past and the Tsarist past is, you know, sort of made the Russian nation for this mission, and that uh, Russia has something unique to give to the world with it, which is the gift of dominating it, so to speak. Um is this familiar to you in, in your research about this uh, resurgent uh, Russian nationalism and uh, Russian orthodoxy? Well, I mean, in terms of the Kremlin's objective has been to to dominate the world. And, and you're right, it's, it stems from Russia's historical messianic complex. <laughs> mm-hmm. That, you know, that Russia, um, rather than being the... Um, um, lost child of the world is in fact the savior here to save the world from itself. Um, and this, this messianic complex in the hands of a nation state armed with thousands of nuclear weapons is quite dangerous. And what I'm saying is rather than pursuing the salvation of the world via, you know, the communist revolution, what emerged in terms of orthodoxy replacing communism with orthodoxy is the idea that that they're going to literally save the world in uh, on behalf of Christianity and what you're talking about is uh the rise of in my mind literally you know I'm sorry the antichrist hello mm-hmm. yeah yeah well I know that uh that it was uh, Dostoevsky that said that uh, when Christ returned he would return to Russia which uh which it almost seems uh, something quite the opposite happened and what you were when you referred to um Gorbachev's saying that Christianity is like socialism I am reminded of Carl Jung's statement that 
that Russia was that Soviet Russia was the the ultimate uh, condensation of the Antichrist movement down the centuries, and that he said that Antichrist has the following characteristic: it promises exactly what Christ promises that the lion will lie down with the man uh, with the lamb and that there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward man, but it will deliver the exact opposite of of what it promises. Um, and that was, uh, I think, very profound, that Karl Marx said, be, I mean, that uh, Carl Jung said, because Karl Marx is an Antichrist figure, and the formation, the political formation, Bolshevism, communism that he formed, uh, it makes all these promises to mankind, but in everywhere they come to power, they deliver the exact opposite of peace and prosperity and freedom. They deliver um, war, uh, hunger, and um, oppression. Exactly, and, and, and that's why you would look in terms of the Antichrist. What I'm saying Russia has been up to is literally misleading the world for the purpose of a global war and to establish um, global tyranny. So in other words, it's engaging in the largest lie in human history, uh, it will then engage in the largest act of mass murder in human history, and then it will literally enslave the planet. And you know, if you go back to what Christ said, he said the devil is a liar and murderer from the beginning. And so what you have here is the emergence of these of these literally anti-Christian forces, and they chose as their headquarters, it makes sense in this world, to be Moscow. Okay? Um, now, I don't want to, you know, veer off on a tangent here, um, but this is, just to give you a sense of, of how literal this may be, let me give you a couple more, uh, or one more um, quote from Mikhail Gorbachev. Okay. This is from uh, Reuters World Sur Service, December 1996, and the headline feature, Vital Gorbachev Refuses to Let Go of Politics. Gorbachev is frank, though hardly contrite, about the failures of judgment that led him to promote to senior positions the very men who would plot to overthrow him in 1991. How do you explain Judas right there next to Jesus Christ, he asks. How do you explain that? And Christ did not recognize him for what he was. You could say that's a metaphor okay so and this is there's been other things uh, you noted in an article um, regarding when Putin came out um, uh, I'm sorry I'm, um, an article that a, I wrote about Putin no it was an article about um, uh, the Political writer who was assassinated. Oh, Anna Polakovskaya. Correct. Okay. Uh, but the, you know, what the, what's being implemented is a, is a strategy. Um, in their mind, they're saving the world, but in any reasonable mind, what they're doing is destroying the world. So, yes, it's the opposite of everything it appears to be and everything that it will be making itself out to be. And in the context of pre-Zarist Russia, what you're talking about then was theocracy or theofascism, where you have the czar, the tyrant, the dictator, 
and you have the Orthodox Church and the Patriarch, who's the head of the church. And this is the double-headed eagle, again, of, of, of the Russian state emblem. And in their mind, in their mentality, what you're talking about is this apocalyptic phase and in the, in, in the emergence or the establishment in, in the world of the kingdom of God. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then you have to begin to ask yourself, what, what in their mind do you think would the kingdom of God would mean? And in that sense, their thinking is it's a monarchy. In fact, it's a Russian monarchy. And the, it's a kingdom. And in terms of that, the czar is not just when they, when, when Russia finally makes its move in terms of convergence and, and, and destroying the United States, conquering uh, the West and, 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 and resting control of the world, their czar won't just be the czar. I believe that they will claim that their czar is the czar of czars, is the king of kings, that is literally the manifestation, the, the fulfillment of biblical prophecy regarding the rise of the Antichrist. And it's playing out right before our eyes in this world, yet nobody sees it. Hmm. Well, of course, that's uh, getting into an area of speculation. I, I, you know, one of the things that I recall my grandfather teaching me, my grandfather was a minister, is that when he was, uh, when World War I broke out, and he and his grandfather and his father and his uncles were around the table, uh, kitchen table, they were all talking about how the Kaiser, Wilhelm II, was the Antichrist, and that all these things in the Bible lined up perfectly, and that 1914, the beginning of World War I, was the beginning of the seven years tribulation uh, spoken of in the Bible. But it didn't turn out to be that that was the case. And I, I think what we find is that every generation finds the sort of uh, structure in what happens to be similar to the structures referred to in Revelation. Um, and uh, so I, I say that as a caution that um, that I think that the book of Revelation is not that well understood, especially by people who are not biblical scholars, which I am not one. And... Uh, and I, I rather keep to conventional understandings of politics um, rather than claiming that I understand biblical prophecy. Uh, I also remember reading the late great planet Earth when I was a kid and and uh, him saying, well, 40 years, you know, the, the parable of the olive tree, Israel is the olive tree, and within one generation we'll see... Um, We'll see the end times. We'll see the seven-year tribulation in one biblical generation. He said it was 40 years, and Israel was founded in 1948. So therefore, by 1988, we'll have the seven-year tri- tribulation. Well, obviously, we didn't. It wasn't true. So, um, and, and don't get me wrong. Okay, I'm not one of the, the Bible thumper type. Okay, I'm not. Mm-hmm. In terms of my beliefs, I'm, I'm very much like you. I come from a secular academic background. Yeah. My training well, is in economics, I, graduate I, economics. Yeah, I come from a Christian background, and I grew up with with the Bible and going to church, and um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to uh, to say that I I disbelieve any of that. I I consider myself a Christian, um, but I I I want to caution people that this is a very tricky area. Bible prophecy, and I've I've listened to theologians and Bible scholars talk about this, by the way, and they 
they have some very interesting perspectives that a lot of these people who I think are exploit this kind of thing uh, don't talk about. And I think that if that whenever I I cringe as a person who's educated in in um, uh, strategy and politics. I cringe when I hear them suddenly say, you know, well, this is all happening so to make way for the footstool of the Antichrist. I don't think um, that is a sensible way to analyze things. If if we see something that uh, that is a perfect fit, we have to be careful that we aren't projecting onto events uh, our own, um, uh, you know, our own ideas of what the future holds or our, our own preconceptions about Revelation. It's a very symbolic book. It's very difficult. My grandfather also had something to say. He said the Bible is very... Uh, poetical and metaphorical uh, in Genesis and Revelation at the beginning and the end of the world but it's very clear in the middle about how we should live our lives and and, and what precepts we should follow so I, I think that's the best way to, to think about that but but uh, one of the things that I, I think is I don't if there's any kind of orthodox revival in Russia I think where it comes from is the understanding that Stalin had that um, Stalin basically reformatted Russia uh, in terms of the Soviet family. He got rid of abortion. He got rid of a lot of the ideas of free love because he realized that you can't form a country on these uh, destructive anti-family ideals, that Engels was wrong, that destroying the bourgeois family, you destroy the country. And that Russia, what what, what Stalin did is he went against basic communist principles in building the Soviet Union, because he said, "Look, we need soldiers, we need people, we need our, our our women to have babies. We can't have abortions." And what happened when they rejected Stalin in the 1950s? They brought abortion back, so that I think by the mid 80s, the average Russian woman had had seven or eight abortions, you know, on average, as a form of birth control, which is appalling. It's absolutely appalling, and the demoralization of that country from communist ideals is appalling. And I think. Many communists have to admit in Russia itself that a return to some kind of orthodoxy is the only way to stitch the social fabric back together again. Uh, it's part of the same retreat from revolution that Lenin himself began with NEP in the 1920s when he said, uh, we don't know how to make a communist country or a communist economy work. We have to retreat back into capitalism. And I think that what we found is that the communists have been retreating ever since the revolution. Uh, retreating toward nationalism, retreating toward capitalism, uh, albeit a kind of despotic capitalism, and retreating towards a kind of czarism. And it, it, it was pointed out that Stalin, very early after the revolution, kept repeating to his colleagues, the Russian people are a czarist people. And it was no well, mistake that Stalin made himself into a kind of czar. Exactly. I mean, the Russian right, okay, the ideology of the Russian right is all about czarism. Uh, the czarist ideologies... Basically, what they hold is Russia as the third Rome. Yes. And their, their, their motto is orthodoxy, autocracy, nationality. And it's just uh, what I it's would, the epitome of statism. Yeah. Well, what, what I would uh, argue, uh, though, is I don't believe that Vladimir Putin or those people that form the core of the real leaders of the security of the Russian general staff and the KGB, I don't believe that they believe in, in Christianity or Russian orthodoxy. Uh, I believe it serves their purposes. It, 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 they are using it cynically, uh, for their purpose, which is, uh, still, I believe, a Bolshevik purpose, uh, which is, 
which is uh, which Bolshevism is, the scientific management of human affairs, and the uh, resolution of the contradictions of history in favor of the dictatorship of the proletariat over the entire globe. And mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a I could be wrong in saying that. That's well, no, everything. That's everything my impression. It's just it's just it's no longer is no, no no longer woven in the fabric of 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 communism and Marxism and Leninism. You see, the, 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 that's still there, but in, in the minds of the, the Russian elite, ruling elite, this, the, the, the communism is akin to Christianity. It was just, it was just a, 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 um, uh, a, a falling away from, from God and, 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 and orthodoxy during the communist era, but the underlying principles are, all are exactly the principles of Christ with regard to the brotherhood of man and egalitarianism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, but I certainly agree that in terms of this, this is the KGB and, and the intellectual elite, and it's, it is most cynical. These guys were all atheists. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know, as the Russian, uh, as, as Russian intelligence services, um, infiltrated the Orthodox Church in order to, to repress it, they started saying, "Wait a second, this is this is opiate masses." And after seven years, we still cannot do away with with this with this uh, powerful belief system. Well, let's use it. Yeah. Rather well, than communism is no longer working, let's use orthodoxy. Let's yeah. Use well, Christianity. it's very interesting when people say communism doesn't work. They they there is not a general understanding in the West by almost anyone of what Marxism Leninism was. Uh, there is the, this idea that Marxism and Leninism, Marxism Leninism was the ideology, uh, advanced by the Soviet state. Not at all. Uh, the ideology of the Soviet state was, that was pronounced was part of their strategy. It wasn't actually Marxism Leninism. And this is where the misunderstanding occurs is that when, uh, the, um, Soviets say we are no longer Soviet, we are no longer communist. Communism is merely a word. Um, have you heard of Alexander Dugan? Have you heard of him? Yes. Alexander Dugan Eurasia. is a, yeah, the Eurasianism. Alexander Dugan has been a, a Kremlin advisor. He heads a group of, of people who are uh, supposedly rabid nationalists. Yeah, and, uh, uh, what's interesting is that Alexander Dugan, in promoting both a, um, a strange mixture of, of communism with nationalism and the Russian mission, is reputedly by people who know his circle that I have interacted with, know his inner circle, is a follower of Aleister Crowley, the black, the, the, the black magician, the, the, the Englishman and black magician, or was he Scotch or English? He was British anyway. Black magician of the, tw- of the 20th century. Uh, very curious figure, um, that has not gotten much attention in the West, and, um. He's like the modern day Rasputin. Sort of, yeah. He's he addresses a very deep and serious split, I think, in the Russian national consciousness. Uh, and it 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 is is Russia a European or an Asian uh, country? And I remember I was shocked uh, when I was re- with a major Russian defector, and I referred to him as European, and he said, "No, no, no, Russians are Asiatics." A very interesting statement that he made. He says, you can only understand Russia if you understand that they are Asiatic. And, of course, uh, it is, it is the tendency to despotism, the belief in, in, in kind of a, 
uh, an Ivan the Terrible style of authority and uh, a belief in the war, uh, sort of the barrack society and the war ethos, an ethos of conquest and continual offensive wars that you find again and again in Russian history and, the, and even in the Soviet character, that Bolshevism somehow fit in with uh, Russian psychology so that it the was mentality. able to be adapted yeah, to that mentality. And that so they hijacked, the, they hijacked the ideology. And I'm saying the same thing they did to Marx, the, works, the work of Marx, is now being applied to Christianity. Yeah, of course, Christianity, uh, you know, uh, hijacking Christianity, using and despoiling, you know, there's this thing that whatever the these criminals, and I think the, the real characterization of the regime and the Kremlin is it's a, it's a gangster regime. These people are all gangsters. Stalin was a bank robber. Lenin was a lawyer who could never win a case. They were all misfits. Misfits are criminals and criminals who are organized are gangsters. These are organized criminals and misfits. And their gang, everything they do, could if you approach them, uh, Viktor Suvorov made the point that if you approach, you can understand the Kremlin if you approach them as a policeman or a criminologist would. You, you don't look at them as they're like a normal government. They're not. They're criminals. And so then once you understand that they're criminals and that's where they're coming from, you can basically interpret what they're doing. You can understand them. You can understand what their pronouncements mean, what their actions signify. And so uh, what do you say to a criminal who becomes a priest? What does he do? He contaminates the church. He corrupts it. Uh, what do you say about a criminal who gains control of the state? He corrupts it. He contaminates it. So that it's no longer a state, it's a criminal enterprise. Almost everything that this dark underworld touches becomes part of this dark underworld and is, has only to be understood as part of this. And I think this is the way to understand all these aspects. That, that Karl Marx once said that there was nothing more glorious under heaven than the mind of a criminal. Uh, that's an extraordinary statement coming from the founder of modern communism. That, that his favorite character in literature was Mephistopheles. The devil, basically, or one of the chief devils in, in hell. Uh, extraordinary. Uh, because, and then you talk about Antichrist. It is not an accident that someone like, with the in, psychological insight of Carl Jung, would say, this is the Antichrist movement in history. In other words, this represents the antithesis of Christianity. That in the, it, that in the great dialectic of history, it isn't capitalism versus communism, but rather this anti-Christian movement against Christianity, this this struggle between uh, Christ and these people that pretend to be uh, sort of super-Christians who are in effect criminals trying to overthrow and destroy everything that Christian well, civilization is built. Christians. Yes, actually, and with, with, with Christian slogans on their lips. Oh, absolutely, of course, they're going to come, come in the form of the Christian church. <laughs> the, the, the stark opposite, they are the forces of the Antichrist. It's almost by definition of a total lie. And it's interesting when someone like um, Dostoevsky says that Christ will appear in Russia. He just has this feeling. Well, isn't it really true that more than anything, it could be metaphorically given or symbolically given that Antichrist has appeared in Russia? And when we hear Alexander Dugan, who is actually a black into black magic and a follower of Aleister Crowley, is preaching the Orthodox Christian National Patriotic Eurasian Movement, as as his tool, I mean, wow, we are talking not about like, something really diabolical here. Not only that, I mean, these guys, in terms of their their political philosophy, are fascists. 
they're neo-fascists. You know, the, the, and, and it, whereas the German Nazis were brown shirts, you want to talk about Russian fascism, you're talking about black shirts. You know, literally, Nazism in Germany was derived from the Russian secret police. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion is a fiction, a, a, a bogus um, a book that was created by the Russian secret police. You know, it's, it's very interesting. Did you know that the Nazi revolution, with the attempted overthrow of the Bavarian government in November of, what was it, November 1923, uh, actually was, was done in alliance with a general communist attempt orchestrated from Moscow to take over the German government in Berlin? And that at the time, the Nazis and Hitler were completely allied with the communists. Uh, in the, in, in, when Hitler tried to take over Bavaria. And was supported by the communists and coordinated their, the, with the communist strikes and communist, uh, intrigues. And it was only after that failure, after Hitler was imprisoned, that he, that he sort of went his separate way. But it was Stalin that, that ordered the communists in Germany to support Hitler. And to enable mm -hmm. him to come to power. And if it hadn't been for the communist support, Hitler would have never come to power, which is fascinating. Um, and when you start down this trail, the pieces start to come together. Because then you talk in terms of, of Islamofascism. Yes. And the, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and the origins of that stemming back from Hitler's, Hitler's Germany. And how, um, uh, these, these, uh, anti-Israeli, anti-Semitic terrorist forces um, are allied with Russia underhandedly. Yes. And what and what I'm arguing is they both share the same underlying uh, political philosophy, and that's what you call theo-fascism. Their objective, you know, the, in terms of Islam, is to create this caliphate over the Muslim world, which is basically a tyrannical um, uh, society over that the Muslims would be part of, and, and and this is the same sort of logic that Russia is applying with regard to to um, uh, the industrialized world, and except theirs instead of being a caliphate would be what their idea of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is is um, it's a totalitarian template applied to the cultural conditions of whatever country it is. Uh, you have to, to win the masses over in a Muslim country. You have to be more Muslim than Muhammad. In order, order to win over people in a Christian country, you have to be more Christian than Christ, and so on. So you, you play this game. You, you, you use these other forces. And this is, this is, uh, very cynical and, and typical of the criminal mind to cynically use people's beliefs to manipulate them and to get them to do what you want. Um, but it affects... It effectively doesn't really change the essence of the strategy, which is basically to dominate the globe, to dominate the world, uh, which is, uh, uh, the, it's, it's crazy. It's the essence of, um, a kind of megalomania, uh, run amok. Uh, yeah, it's, the, it's the insanity of man manifest in its, its most horrific form. Yeah. Just as is. much as Nazi, as, as Hitler and Nazism was back with the last with the last super cycle downturn. Yeah. Now we're looking at the grand super cycle downturn yeah. and, and in terms of the negative the negative um, mentality, the negative mood manifesting on the world stage, we're talking you know, this 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 is the ultimate bad form. Yeah, what what form. what troubles me is that people underestimate this evil. 
they underestimate how really powerful and evil it is. And, the, and right and, now in the West, in America, they don't even believe it exists. No, they don't. And here's the thing. Uh, I have said again and again, and this is where people attack me and misunderstand me. They say, oh, Russia's a weak country. You don't understand how weak Russia is. Yeah, I understand exactly how weak it is. I understand Russia and China are both weak countries compared to the United States and the West. But here's the difference, is that even a weakened Samson could pull down the temple down upon the, the Philistines. Uh, and these Philistines, they are facing a nuclear uh, enemy who's weak, who uh, in his weakness can reach for these weapons, and though he thinks he's dominating the world, though he thinks he's on a program to take over in his delusional, you know, wickedness, will unleash these weapons of destruction and bring down all of global civilization, causing a, a horrible, dark age for the entire world. This is the real threat. Not that they're going to take over the world and succeed in, in governing it in, in, in some kind of uh, sick Soviet dream, but that they're going to cause everything to be destroyed and reduce us to a kind of situation that we saw after the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, where you have people just in a, in a, in a state of absolute barbarism and economic collapse all going after each other for the crumbs that are left from this exploded civilization. Uh, this is what is I fear that we are not observing the right prudence and we are not showing the right precautions to stop these lunatics because they really are. These are crazy people. As, as uh, Colonel Stanislav Lunov once said to me, I asked him, are there any good people in, in charge in the Russian general staff or the Kremlin? And he looked at me like I was crazy and he said, these are not human beings. These are crazy persons, is what he said to me. And I'll never forget those words because it really, it, it is what I knew already, but I, I needed to hear it from somebody who worked directly for these people, who'd been a military uh, briefer of Gorbachev and who had worked directly as the deputy head of the GRU in the United States. It is uh, it's important to know how evil and destructive and crazy these people are. And the, the horrific quote from Lenin is, it would not matter if three-quarters of the human race perished. The important thing is that the remaining quarter be communist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is the mentality. They, the, the destruction, just as long as it serves their purposes of, 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 of gaining control, then so be it. Yeah, and that is, we have to understand this mentality. It, it, they don't care if they reduce the whole planet to rubble. If they're in control at the end, that's all that matters. And, uh, and, and what's amazing is, you know, we have all these defectors warning us mm-hmm. of what Russia is up to. Yeah. The people who were in a, who are have been in the position to know and to warn us. And and yet everybody uh maintains their self delusions because they're comfortable in those delusions. But inevitably those delusions will crash. Yeah. And that's what the grand super cycle crash is really all about. It's yeah, the collapse it, of the collective delusions. Now let's talk for a second about about we talked about Hitler being the icebreaker of the revolution for Stalin and and you touched on the Muslim Brotherhood being the icebreaker of the revolution f- now for Russia for its breaking out. Uh you know, we have this testimony from Alexander Livanenko who was assassinated dramatically in London by being poisoned by radioactive polonium. Uh and uh it, one of the reasons that he was assassinated, perhaps the reason he was assassinated, according to Ian Pesepa, the former acting head of the Romanian intelligence service, was because he had revealed publicly that Ayman al-Zawari, the number two man in al-Qaeda, the guy that really runs al-Qaeda, was a long-time KGB agent. Uh, this is an astonishing revelation. 
and puts 9-11 in a completely different light, especially it puts it in the light of what my Czech friends have told me uh, for years now, that Mohamed Atta was trained in a communist terrorist training camp in communist Czechoslovakia in 1987, and that that, that, that we cannot trust that that it's simply Muslim terrorism that we're dealing with, that Muslim terrorism has been hijacked and is being manipulated and used as the in the same way that Stalin used Hitler to cause World War II so that he could get his mitts on half of Europe. Uh, what, what do you say to this? What, what is your impression? And, and you've talked to a Middle East expert, uh, Laurie Milroy. I'm interested to know if you've suggested this to her and what her reaction is. Dr. Milroy uh, revealed a very important um, fact regarding the terrorists behind 9-11 and, and most of the terrorism against the United States, because most of it was done by the family of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. For instance, um, the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and the first attempt to take down the Twin Towers was done by Ramzi Youssef. Mm-hmm. Ramzi Youssef sought to flee the country on, with a passport of, of an individual named Abdul Bazit, a Kuwaiti, who studied in, in the UK. And what Laurie Milroy reveals in her work, and she does it um, very judici- judiciously, is presentable in the court of law and actually was used in the, in the trial against Iraq that was won. Uh, by families that sued Iraq for 9/11, and the case that she presents is that is that the that um, Ramsey Youssef, the person claiming to be Ramsey Youssef, who was who was arrested, was not was not actually the person that he claimed to be that in the passport, Abdul Bazit. Okay, mm-hmm. um, yet the fingerprints of of Ramsey Youssef matched the fingerprints. In the, in the in the Kuwaiti Interior Ministry files for for Abdul Bazit, hmm. okay, and the the uncle of Abdul Bazit is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed being the mastermind of 9/11 and the successful attempt to take down the Twin Towers. Interesting. Uh, and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed uh, and 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 Ramzi Youssef both speak Urdu, and they're from they're actually from Baluchistan. They're Baluchistani. Oh. But yet they're supposed to be these Kuwaitis. And um, the theory posited by Lori Milroy, obviously, is that when Iraq occupied Kuwait in 1990, that the this family of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the actual family of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Abdul Bazit, was eliminated, and their documenta- their documents were handed to these terrorist operatives by the Mukhabarat, the Russian. I'm sorry, the, the, the Iraqi intelligence services, which mm-hmm. are basically just a, just a, just a, an appendage of Russian secret services. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and that and that um, and that what we have here are legends or false identities. Um, the one of the the simple ways to, to perceive that this is actually the case is one just has to go take a look at a, at a photograph of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. Are you familiar with the photos where, after his arrest, with the hair all messed up and and he's grizzly and he has like graying sideburns and he looks to be about oh late forties. Well, the real Khalid Sheikh Mohammed should have been thirty-seven years old at the time that photo was taken. Hmm. So the the odds are is is that um, these guys are using false identities. But the thing is, Lauren Milroy was fixated on the idea that it was Saddam Hussein who was using these operatives to engage in terrorism underhandedly against the United States. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I'm sorry, one of the one of the, the proofs that, that you know this is that these guys are false identities. Supposedly, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and family uh, left Kuwait on in aug on, in late August of 1990. They supposedly left Kuwait and went to went to Pakistan, and this was in their Interior Ministry files. Well, Kuwaitis weren't taking trips abroad at that time. It was, it was August 2nd, Iraq invaded Kuwait. Iraq was occupying Kuwait at that time. Mm-hmm. So why was this? Why were these notes in their documents, their Kuwaiti interior ministry file? Somebody obviously put it in there. Mm-hmm. Okay? But they'd also put in the fingerprints of, of the actual um, Ramzi Yusuf to make him out to be Abdul Bazit. Mm-hmm. So somebody tampered with those files in Kuwait. And in the country that was in a position to, position to do that was Iraq when it occupied mm-hmm. Kuwait after the invasion. And <clears throat> the thing is, I mentioned that they're from Baluchistan. Well, Baluchistan is an interesting region. It's caught in between Iran and Pakistan. And what happened is during the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan, the Soviets were in there training the uh, Baluchistan Liberation uh, Army in order to have insurgents that would needle Pakistan for Pakistan's U.S.-backed support for the Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. And so the point is is that what you had in Baluchistan was a lot of highly trained terrorist operatives, but they were trained by Russia's intelligence services, not Iraq. Mm-hmm. So that's where these Baluchi operatives are coming out of. They're coming out of a pool or a reserve of, of candidates for, for, for terrorism that was run by Russia, not Iraq. And that's where I think Roy Milroy makes a mistake. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because if they're Baluchis, the chances are, and they're terrorists, the chances are they were trained by the Russians. Correct. And that's where you get it. You can start to tie in, you know, what Lubinenko said that Ayman al Zawahiri, Al Qaeda number two, is is a, basically um, working on behalf of Russian secret services. And then you have the insights of the defector Ayan Pasipa. Um, and that, you know, I'll read you a bit from his article, Russian Footprints in National Review, if we've got time. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, in 1972, the Kremlin decided to turn the whole Islamic world against Israel and the U.S. As KGB chairman Yurian Dropoff told me, a billion adversaries could inflict far greater damage on America than could a few million. We needed to instill a Nazi-style hatred for the Jews throughout the Islamic world and to turn this weapon of the emotions into a terrorist bloodbath against Israel and its main support of the United States. No one within the American Zionist sphere of influence should, influence should any longer feel safe. According to Andropov, the Islamic world was a waiting petri dish in which we could nurture a virulent strain of American hatred grown from the bacterium of Marxist-Leninist thought. Islamic anti-Semitism ran deep. The Muslim hate had a taste for nationalism, jingoism, and victimology. The illiterate, oppressed mobs could be whipped up to a fever pitch. So here you have the head of Roman, uh, one of the former chiefs of of Romanian intelligence services, the DIE, um, basically explaining to us, because Romania was a a key... um, uh, crossroad to the Middle East that the that Moscow was, was using. So the, in terms of terrorist operations and, 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 and Islamic terrorism, 
uh, Romania was critical, so the intelligence services were he heavily involved in this. So you have INPC coming and saying, look, you know, what this is all about has been has been um, getting the Islamic world, festering hatred in the Islamic world towards the United States and, and Israel. Um, so in terms of 9-11, what I'm saying is it served a strategic purpose. Because one of the things that the that the uh, um, the Islam and the, the Arabs are are obsessed with is preventing the infidels' occupation of their territory. Well, 9/11 did precisely that. It brought us into their territory, as much as Israel supposedly purporting purportedly occupying the land of Palestine, although there never really was truly a Palestine. But whatever. The same way now the United States has invaded Afghanistan and Iraq because of 9-11. So in terms of 9-11 actually might have served its purposes if indeed the Kremlin was behind the terrorist attack. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it was to draw us into into the Islamic world in terms of conflict with the Islamic yeah. world. Well, just like uh, the, uh, the the non-aggression pact with Hitler drew Hitler into a war with the West. Mm -hmm. The uh, the Russians follow this strategy of getting their enemies to fight each other. And it was uh, Pesepa that uh, quoted Andropov. Andropov had told them in the 1970s, he said, our plan is to get a billion Muslims to turn against the United States and to have the Americans have to fight these Muslims. And that they'll do all the dirty work for us, the Muslims will. Very interesting, very interesting stuff. And and, and one of the key things is, you know, what terrorism has occurred since 9/11. Yeah, it is interesting. It it was it was it was just something that set everything up, and it served its purpose. And now it's uh, it set up the Great Terror, and now it served its purpose. And we, if we get nuked tomorrow, we're going to think it was um, uh, Osama bin Laden, not uh, Moscow, doing it. And and. And we know, based upon the anthrax mailings, that seemingly these terrorists have access to weapons of mass destruction. Why have they not been used? Yes. And that's the whole point. I'm saying if, if it was Russian control over these ter Islamic terrorist forces, these networks, and it's just they're basically doing Moscow's bidding, then it, it hasn't occurred simply because they've not received the authorization or orders to engage in such terrorism. Because yeah. at any point now, the United States can... can come under attack via weapons of mass destruction underhandedly yeah. and it won't be attributed to moscow no. which serves their purposes no we'll, we'll attribute it we'll, we'll attribute it to the wrong people and perhaps even respond against the wrong people sure or more so you know in the initial phase of the conflict the russians fully understand i mean the, one of the most important books to read in my mind is the soviet strategy for nuclear war um it is explained that in the opening phase of the conflict, and you've written articles on gray terror and red terror, yeah. that based upon work of, of Suvorov, um, that in that initial phase of the conflict, you know, we will be hampered, we will be hamstrung by um, uh, terrorist attacks that will basically um, undermine our ability to respond when the full-scale attack comes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the, all this is just laying the groundwork for that. Yeah, it does seem to be. And this is what's so alarming about it. 
and I wish people understood this and people were alerted to this, but as much as I talk myself blue, I can't get anyone to, to credit it, hardly anyone. Uh, Jay, I want to thank you for being with us on this podcast for Wednesday, January 27th, 2009. 